Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. Someone was like, Jake, Jake, get the camera. You should be filming this. And I was like, absolutely not. Like we have fake beef. I'm not putting real beef into our videos because I don't want that precedent to be set. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Today's We Are LA Tech podcast episode shout out goes to Abel Hernandez. Abel Hernandez, thank you so much for engaging with us on the We Are LA Tech Instagram. We appreciate you. Be sure to say hello to Abel Hernandez on Instagram at Abel Product. That's A-B-E-L-P-R-O-D-U-C-T. Tell him you found him via We Are LA Tech. Join thousands of people in LA Tech on our We Are LA Tech Facebook group where you can discover events, job opportunities, and even housing. Go to wearelatech.com slash community. We'll take you straight there. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Hi, today's personal spot. I'm just driving back from being out and about in Los Angeles and I kept my distance from everyone still so cautious because of the known situation we have going on in our world. It's hard being out. It's hard, you know, interacting with people after not having interacted with people for a year and a half. I stayed in a corner, distanced from everybody, talked to very few people, felt safe that way. And, uh, Yeah. And even vaccinated or not, I think, you know, we just don't know what's happening. And that's such an uncomfortable place to be and live. And what's interesting about that uncomfortableness is that's also the life of entrepreneur, not knowing what what's next, not being able to have control when we want control over a situation and outcome so bad. We want to, we want to be able to predict the future and say that everything's going to be okay. And not having that sense of certainty is just, it's a, you know, it's depleting and, and it's scary and I get it. And I think it's not something we talk about a lot because we look around and we think everybody else has it figured out. At least sometimes I look around and I feel like everybody else has it figured out. I can't speak for you. And so, so yeah, in case you're like me looking around, feeling a loss of control and thinking everyone else seems to have it figured it out and hauled together. You and I, we're in this, we're in, we're in the same boat. Anyway, enjoy the next episode. Tech podcast celebrating LA tech companies and talent. So excited for our next guest. Living in LA now, still couch surfing, figuring out what area is best for him. He's between Tarzana and Santa Monica. I'm so excited to have him on the show. This is long overdue. We are in the same community called Creator Now. We're both creating YouTube channels. He's way further along than I am. And he's going to be sharing about how he gained such tremendous traction on TikTok, um, why he incorporated being a content creator, and just all the goodness. Jake, welcome to the the show that's awesome i feel like i'm i'm about to walk onto a ted talk or like a stadium full of ten thousand people that's amazing (laughs) (laughs) you are you are this is a stadium of thousands and thousands of people around the world listening wanting to hear first of all why la like you're not originally from la right and so why did you choose to move to la and why choose to move to la now uh, two reasons. Uh, now I know because it's the 
pretty much the entertainment capital of the world. I feel like almost everything that's happening is being set here over anywhere else. So that's a big part of it. Um, And then two, part of what I do and the collaborations that I do with uh, a group named Junk Tramp, um, who the owner is JR, he lives in LA. And so he's helped me get my start and been able to uh, provide us equipment and do all these things. And he's based in Orange County. So being in Southern California is like the place to be if I want to be doing what we've been doing. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do so we could lay a foundation. Cool. So my name is Jake. I am a professional circus acrobat and performer. My main discipline is something called tramp wall. Uh, Tramp wall is basically, uh, you might have videos pop up. I don't know how the, the podcast works, but imagine a trampoline next to a wall with like a platform on top. We'll do flips down. We'll do flips off the wall. It's like a very high flying gravity defying type act. I was performing for circus companies and just a variety of them. Uh, I was in SeaWorld, Six Flags, Big Apple Circus. I was actually contracted to do a Kung Fu Panda show that was being created in China pretty much before COVID hit. And it kept getting pushed back and pushed back, which we now probably know why, one of the reasons why. And uh, then COVID hit and obviously every live entertainment industry just completely stopped in its tracks. So right before then, I'd been kind of dipping my toes into social media and experiencing a little bit of success. And when COVID happened, we just went all in on it. So our group basically got an Airbnb within like three days. I think we literally moved into the Airbnb three days after lockdown was announced. Oh, wow. So like, was this in LA? We were in uh, Orange County. That counts. counts. Orange County, we love you. I know. (laughs) You guys are very like territorial it feels like <laughs> it's true i we are la tech loves oc yeah 100 like so yes you got an airbnb in oc no we were in oc already like that's yeah. where we were living and then when we got shut down like no one could do anything we're like well if we want to keep making content we need to have access to a tramp wall and we can't do that here because we were all going to this guy's house so he messaged me and he's like hey what would you guys think about like getting an Airbnb in Joshua tree in like the middle of nowhere where neighbors won't give like a crap about it. And so from that message to three days later, we moved into an Airbnb indefinitely, basically as long as the pandemic was going to last in Joshua tree in Joshua tree. Oh my. Okay. So I'm wicked curious. This is not where I thought the conversation would go And, and we won't keep it here for long because I don't know how many of our listeners will be like a spree. Please don't. I feel like, Tulum, Mexico and Joshua Tree or moving to Austin is where all of Los Angeles went during the pandemic. Probably. So what was Joshua Tree like? I I just, I even thought about, you know, camping out there. Simon Rex, I I don't know how many of you know Simon Rex. He used to be an MTV VJ. He's a podcaster, um, a rapper. He goes by Dirt Nasty. He got a place in Joshua Tree. So he was talking about it like crazy. So many people. Well, I feel like, I, at that point in time, like if you, if you remember, especially if you're in LA or Orange County or any, even if you're not from LA area and you're in a highly populated, dense city during COVID, it sucked. Like yeah, you weren't allowed to pretty much leave anywhere. All the grocery stores were like ransacked of like any perishable goods. You couldn't find toilet paper. Um, everything was really scary. And it was just pretty much everyone just like hanging out and like whatever, house community that you happen to find yourself in. And so for us to go to Joshua tree and be able to know that, like, I could literally walk outside my house and then run for 20 miles and not come across another human being outside of our bubble was like really helpful for like just mental sanity and like being able to get fresh air and just all of that. So I think it was a really good move in terms of just as someone who likes to be out in nature, that but then also for the social media side of things, now everyone else was stuck doing nothing and we were creating content more than ever before. Right. And so it paid off. Okay. One last question about Joshua Tree. Everybody, I'm really sorry. So what was the, the community, the vibe like in Joshua Tree were the coffee houses, were people going like, was there any community outside of your house or was it just really your pod isolated? We kind of really stuck to keeping isolated. We would go to the grocery store and that's pretty much it. Mm. Um, I do know that because we were there for a good while and things had started to open up. I think we were there for... I was there the whole time. Some of our group left early. I think I was there for 
just shy of six months. Wow. It's such yeah. a cool adventure, man. I do want to share one thing because I haven't yeah. gotten to talk about this very often. We went there with four people originally. It was myself and three others. Yeah. We went with uh, the place that we got was the casita of a larger house that literally was only a single bedroom, a bathroom, and then like a little foyer area. And then my one buddy, Dylan, had a van that he'd renovated so he could live in. So we only had like the the foyer area had like a couch that could roll out. And then yeah. we had the bedroom and then we had the van. And that's pretty much all we had for ro- rooms for our stay. And then the the owner, not the yeah. owner, the caretaker yeah. opened up part of this extra thing that had a bunch of bunk beds. So yeah. then uh, we, we could all have our own bed. And then within like, I think a month of staying there, we ended up getting more people to come move out with us. We rented the whole house, the, the larger portion. And so it felt like uh, we kept That's unlocking each room as we like progressed. It felt like a like video, a video game. game. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool, man. I would have loved to live there. That's awesome. So let's get into it. The thing that everybody's waiting for. Let, let's talk about what, what is your status, your stats on TikTok and how did you grow it? And now you're building up your YouTube channel. I believe the creator economy and a- tech which really they're they're sort of one and the same and different. They're kind of hybriding. I feel like they're merging hardcore and LA is the place to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, and that, and you symbolize that. So tell us about your TikTok growth and YouTube and, and a lot of the tactics you applied to get there. Okay. Well, currently my stats on uh, platforms are TikTok is number one. I have 1.4 million followers there. YouTube is next. I think I just hit over, I think I have 23, I don't remember exactly, but I have over 20,000 subscribers on YouTube and I have over 20,000 followers on Instagram. So there's a lot lower than TikTok, but they're still getting up there. And I actually just recently posted a YouTube video that hit 10,000 views and gained me a thousand subscribers from that video alone. And someone, uh, sports Bible, I think reshared the video. They like edited their own version of it on Facebook. And last I just checked, it's got over 8 million views on Facebook, which is nuts. Things are doing well. Um, my background, I started, like I said, with circus around, I think it was slightly before Halloween of 2019. Uh, a friend in the circus industry contacted me and was like, Hey, there's this, you know, new platform called TikTok. They're paying users to create content for them. So that way there's new content on the platform. I think you'd be a good fit. And I put your name forward. So they did a month trial where I, I had to create a certain amount of videos in a month. And I did that. And I actually put some effort into it. Like I, I really, I enjoy yeah. being creative and coming up with ideas. I didn't know exactly what I was doing then, but I, I really did try. And I had like two two videos go semi-viral around that period of time. And then they ended that month. And then like, I think a month and a half to two months went by and then they did another month. So I did that one again. And then at that point, TikTok was starting to like really trend. And I don't think they needed creators like that, uh, in a, in a sense. And then basically I, at the start of the year, I took a trip to Europe. I came back in February and decided to move to, because I didn't have a circus contract lined up, I decided to move to Orange County. So that way I could create with this guy named JR, the one who runs the Junk Tramp account. And so I kind of created my own little video to kind of like preemptively merge a storyline before I got in there. And it went right. really, really viral. And everyone was tagging and everyone was kind of following it along. And so at that point, I think I had about 300,000 followers on TikTok already. Um, And this was like right before TikTok really hit mainstream. And so we started getting like millions of views on every single video, every single time, like we were on on a run. And then COVID hit, lockdown happened, we moved out. And then we were the only ones creating. I mean, people were creating, but like we were consistently doing it. So people were really paying attention. Then I think in the next like, five to six months, I, I gained from 300,000 to over a million followers just in that short period of time. That's insane. Yeah. And a lot of that was probably timing, but I know that you're very strategic. You're smart. Um, so what growth 
strategies did you execute on that you think were the core contributors, regardless that it was a time in our history where everybody was online all the time? Yeah. A couple things. I think you need to have timing for sure. Like the timing is going to help make everything that you do. It's like a 10X. Like if you're doing what you're doing at the right moment, you're going to get a hundred times the results. If you do it at a later point, you're still going to increase your results, but it's not going to be as like extensive of an increase. Right. Right. A big part of what I was doing was trying to really pay attention to trends that had happened before. And then like, know that this was a, a similar kind of cycle in life and try to like push into it beforehand. I forget the name of the book. Uh, I feel like it's probably by Malcolm Gladwell because he writes all of the books that are it might be the tipping point. It's basically like the tail, the long hand in the tail. Mm. So basically like there's going to be early adopters and then it'll be almost a bunch of people are kind of doing it, but it's still about the halfway mark. And then almost everyone's using it. And then there's going to be like the late trend of like the people who are finally getting involved. And then there's like really early where there's almost no results. So if you can kind of get into that early quarter, I knew that TikTok had a chance to be really, really big and that I was in the early quarter. So I was like, if I put a lot of fuel in this moment right now, it's going to be huge. It'd be like Bitcoin before Bitcoin kind of hit mainstream. It's like knowing those kind of trends and then seeing things like how Vine operated. A lot of the biggest YouTubers come from Vine. So they used Vine to kind of accelerate and then use the platform as a way to learn how to storytell in a in a good, concise manner. Right. So a lot of the Viners are literally doing what they did on Vine, but they've just stacked that content up until it's like five minutes long. It's still what they were doing before. It's just kind of created into a longer scale. That's right. what David Dobrik is. Yeah. So I was trying to see those kind of patterns and then apply it into what I saw the TikTok opportunity was. And how did you transfer your TikTok audience to your YouTube audience? That one's tricky. I think I did a pretty good job for my niche, better than most people did. I will say it's a lot harder than people expect. TikTok as a platform, especially as people have started to learn more and more about it, I think almost everyone recognizes that TikTok's a lot harder to get those really deep connections. There are a few creators who I think like, obviously Charlie's the one everyone knows of, uh, when she partnered with Dunkin' Donuts, uh, the yeah. sales of coffee, her her specific drink went up like 30% or some insane That's number. Crazy. Yeah. That's not normally the case for most TikTokers. We don't have that kind of like really good brand audience connection where if I say buy this, they will buy that. Right. There are exceptions to every rule, but YouTubers, if you're spending 10 minutes every week with someone versus yeah. just like a few TikToks every week where it's like less than a minute long. Yeah. There's just different scales to that. So I'm not a lifestyle kind of niche where you're paying attention to me brushing my teeth and putting on makeup and eating like a bagel. Like I'm not doing normal everyday activities that you're relating. I'm not an Emma Chamberlain. I'm doing right. very specific, cool videos that make you go, wow. And then you get your serotonin boost and you scroll by. So it's yeah. like a very different category of entertainment, so to speak. But I did do one really good video. This is, I'm pretty sure it was within the first month of me moving to Joshua Tree, probably the first two weeks. So TikTok still really hadn't, I mean, it was starting to spike. I had just made a new YouTube channel because before it was just like random stuff for like demo reels for circus. I made a new YouTube channel. My first YouTube video was literally just all of the TikToks that we'd made up until that point. Cause we were crafting a storyline. Think WWE with trampolines. Like we had beef and there's all these characters and it was like a TV show. It was genuinely like that. So I took all of those that made sense in a story and I put them all together and posted that as a YouTube video. And that's still my most viewed YouTube video. Once I posted that, I made a TikTok and all I did, there was a trend going around where people would start super far away from the camera and you could see them like frantically scrambling towards the camera, like the phone. And then they finally get it. And then they just say something completely stupid. That's it. And that was a kind of a trend that was going on around the time. So I started on the very top of the wall. There's a a camera at the very end with a pad on the bottom. And I'm like, 
right in the very first second of the video, I'm screaming, wait. And then I like jump down. I'm bouncing on this trampoline. I'm like, wait, I, I feel like I'm losing my mind. I do a front flip and land on my stomach and like bounce. And then I'm like army crawling to this thing. It's like very chaotic. And I finally get my phone. And I go, I made a new YouTube channel. You guys should check it out. And I just like was very genuine and, and smiled. And I think I gained 15,000 subscribers just from that single wow. video alone. I think that video on TikTok has over, over 1.5 million views. Wow. That's wild. That's wild. As you were talking, I thought about like how difficult it is to create original ideas or innovative ideas when there's just so much content like Mm. to, to sit there and think about. And so one of the portions of our conversation I'm excited to get into is the research. But before jumping into the research, you talked about how you had Uh, if I understood you correctly, you'd manufactured beef with some of your housemates and beef is a thing like in the YouTube culture in general. And I hear that a lot that, you know, especially on podcasts, I'll hear the behind the scenes stories of how these big YouTubers, like, it's like, Hey, was that thing real? It's like, well, sometimes it's hard to know where the actual line is. It starts to get confusing and blurry. Can you kind of pull behind the curtains? What does the I guess, profession of beef creation look like behind the scenes? Like what should we as business people and and brand builders uh, understand that happens behind the scenes in relation to creating um, artificial arguments and, and controversy in order to gain views? Okay, that's a good question. I've never gotten that. And I would be very curious before I got into it. Uh, before I say anything, I want to preface that like every creator that does this kind of beef thing is probably different. There are people who are probably putting out content and it is very genuinely, they don't like that person and they don't want it. They can't stand them. And it is, it is all real. And then there's people where it's completely hundred percent artificial and fake. And then there's probably kind of like variations in between. It's hard. <laughs> I'll start off with that. Uh, it creates a, a mental state in which you are basically having to be very antagonistic towards someone who is potentially your friend. It'd be very different if it's like WWE because they're basically paying you. You know, it's like you are now an actor. Like if you are on set for a a movie and you have to dislike someone, that is your job. And so it's very clear roles. And you know that like when you leave, it's like, okay, we're, we're good now. Like you did a great job getting into me. And that's typically, I feel like how it usually is for most things. But with any kind of like acting, there's a lot of like real psychological stuff going on. And so I want to draw back the curtains. Me and Garrett were the the main two people who had beef. That was what the whole storyline was centered around for our videos. I was kind of the underdog, the the sweet, innocent, naive, happy-go-lucky kid who just wanted to join Junk Tramp super bad. And then Garrett was like the cool, like Tom Cruise, I'm a badass uh, I'm the team captain. Who do you think you are to join junk tramp? Um, and we just noticed that we played those characters very naturally and neither of us are real actors. So it was very new to us and we were literally just winging it because it was working and we were just trying to figure out how to make it work more. But as we started with that, we're normally, our relationship is like, he does a cool skill. I'm super stoked for him. Like, high fives, like congratulations. Like that was so sick, man. And vice versa. And even if we're like competing, we're still like, I want to beat you, but I want to, I want you to do good too. Mm -hmm. In the videos though, I could never smile. I could never be happy that he landed something. He would never, ever, ever compliment me. He would always be insulting me. And those were the ground rules. And so it would get to the point where we would play these things called box games. That's what our uh, content center on. So it's like horse, but with tricks, you got to land in the box you set the trick, then the other person has to land in it. And if he doesn't, then they get a letter. First is spell, spell box loses. So we'd be playing these challenges and we would get so into character that I genuinely feel anxious around him when, in those moments and feel the emotions that I was supposed to be feeling, kind of method acting. Yeah, and yeah. then the the filming session would end and we would just go back to just jamming and having a good time. And I would go to congratulate him and, and feel not authentic. Like it felt fake to be happy for him. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And so that was really, really weird and hard. And all of us had different roles that we were doing. And it was all hard because like, for instance, Luke originally was kind of a good guy. 
one of my friends, but then his character shifted into a bad guy because to be honest, he played a better bad guy than he played a good guy. And audiences gravitated more towards him playing a bad guy. But that does something to your psychology. And like, no one wants to be viewed on the internet as like a dick. And so then he would have troubles with staying in character because he'd keep flip-flopping. And then like, he'd eventually be like, all right, well, let's just turn you into a good guy again, even though it doesn't do as well, because like mentally he couldn't handle it. I was always lucky because I was like the good guy, but that's what I, my good character was. Anytime I tried to insult him, it just didn't read well at all. And like JR or whoever was editing it would just cut those parts out. Garrett just naturally played a really good bad guy um, and couldn't play a good guy. And so he just stayed in that role the longest, but he got genuine, like lots of hate comments, all of that. And he just had to kind of deal with it. Um, and it was weird because it was all informal. None of us are getting paid for this. None of us know what we're doing. We don't have a producer or a director being like, this is how you should do things. We're just all winging it. And so it was a very interesting kind of time. And I feel like a lot of YouTubers, I mean, some of the big ones now, like Logan Paul knows how to generate beef, right? Like right. he's probably got it down. He was one of the people I was thinking of. Yeah, exactly. So certain ones, especially when they're at that elite level, they've done it enough times that they kind of know how it works. I mean, they, Logan, Logan Paul even coordinates paparazzi to aid him in the beef creation, which is as far as I understand in my research is that he coordinated uh, paparazzi to in intensify the beef with Mayweather in order to get Mayweather to sign the contracts for the fight. Like it's all strategized. Yeah. the I think, and again, this could be a little bit of an exaggeration and I'm not sure it's always like this, but in my short time of moving to LA and just like being really immersed in the culture in this past year and a half, uh, a lot more things are calculated than they'd appear. Even if it's something very genuine and it's already naturally going to gravitate, most of the elite players, the people at the top in the back of their head, even if they aren't consciously thinking it, they kind of just know, like, we're going to shift into this and lean into it for a video for the yeah. bit. And you just start yeah. getting really good at sensing when things are happening. You're like, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Let's, let's go with it. And that's yeah. just how it is. It's kind of unfortunate too. I was watching this interview with Charlie who you were talking about before. I, I was watching her on her sister's talk show, the Dixie D'Amelio, uh, mm. what is it? Night show, evening show, late to me, who knows, but her talk show. And she was saying how she thought a lot of the TikTokers were her real friends. And they ended up like uh, in the beginning, they did, I think, have authentic friendships, but then they ended up not being really sincere friendships because it was all about clout at some point. And it was all about using one another. And she's like, wait, I thought these were real, genuine friendships. I didn't know you were just trying to use me. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a lot more common. I've recently been talking uh, with someone who's immersed in the, the Hollywood culture. Yeah. And he recently said something to me about basically like you don't, you have like five close friends maybe. And most of those people are going to be before you got into Hollywood. Yeah. Everyone else, every single person that you meet thereafter, once you're like up there in terms of Hollywood, like a big movie star are just acquaintances. That's it. And he's like, that's how you have to look at it. And there are probably exceptions. I'm not really in the world, so I don't know, but that, that seems like it could be the case. My biggest thing, and we even dealt with it in the house because we're, we're essentially, we were 10 people ish. It fluctuated who were extremely good friends before this, um, knew each other before any of this, like TikTok fame happened or any of that going on. And even, even with all of that, you could still tell, like, there were things where it's like, okay, are you using this person for just this thing? Mm. Or are like certain dynamics start to happen and it becomes a bit of a power play. And so my biggest thing, I was kind of like the leader of the, the group in a sense. Um, my biggest thing was like, I really tried hard to make sure that I would just meet people on a basis of like, how are you doing as a person? Um, if you don't need to be in a video, don't be in a video. Like if it's bad for your mental health, like don't, um, there was one time where we were filming a YouTube video and some argument actually broke out like a real argument. And someone was like, Jake, Jake, get the camera. You should be filming this. And I was like, absolutely not. Like we have fake beef. I'm not putting 
real beef into our videos because I don't want that precedent to be set. Right. I have met other YouTubers and, and I could be wrong. And, and maybe five years from now, I'll be this bitter person where I'm like, no, they, none of them were real friendships, but I I'm pretty perceptive. And I usually try and make sure that like, if I'm hanging out with people, it's because genuinely they're good people at heart. Um, and yet some of them, it makes sense for me as a creator because it's going to help boost me and I can help boost them. Um, but I don't want, I feel like to some level it does become fake enough that it's seen. Like if you're just hanging out with someone who's popular, so that way you get popular, you can kind of sense that and see that they're not really happy to some degree. Like you might be able to get most of it where you're cutting it in a way where you can just show this one side to most of the internet. But once you start getting on like podcasts or talk shows where like you have long format things and you see them in, in a room together, like there's no way you could get me and Garrett in a room for an hour and keep the beef alive for that whole, whole time. Like you would see through it hundred percent. Yeah. So before we move on to how you do your research, how important is it to have that beef? Like, did you notice that it, it significantly catapulted your numbers? Yeah, it was night and day. I mean, I just think, I mean, this is just like an espriism or whatever, but it just sucks. It does. Um, I mean, it just sucks. Like, I think it really sucks. Like, can we just have like a, a world of like kind videos that elevate like traction rather than like. The thing oh. is, you, you can do kind videos. <laughs> uh, it, it just depends on what you're doing and if the story is strong. Um, the biggest thing is like, if you have a kind video and someone does some really shitty thing beforehand to that kind person, it's going to read that much better. That's why every movie has like the main character have this big fall before the big break, because now you care so much more about it. And so part of it is just like storytelling 101, storytelling, but it doesn't have to necessarily be beef. Like I'd recently had a video that had, I think it got 1.4 million views. It was my second, second most recent video. And I literally just went to Santa Monica Pier and I paid strangers a dollar to compliment themselves. Like I gave them money to give themselves wow. a How I love that in yeah. general. That could be a whole show. I thought it was a really unique twist on it because people have done that. That like is room. really, oh my God, do I love that. And then the video that went viral on TikTok was a smaller segment in my YouTube video where I wanted to pay someone a dollar to roast me. But then as soon as they roasted me, I would pay them $5 to compliment themselves. It's so funny too, because I was talking at the camera and I was like, it would be really funny if I got some kid to roast me, you know, like some seven-year-old kid who's just like, and that's who I got. And he roasted me and it was not a good roast. But then his compliment was just so over the top. He's just like, my hair is like Justin Bieber. I'm the most like richest person in the world. I, I poop on the most expensive toilet, like just some absurd things. <laughs> and like that, that video is super wholesome, right? Like there's yeah. no beef, there's no drama, there's no yeah. fakeness to it. That's just like a really good video, yeah. but it was filmed in a way where I'd set up a scenario that had potential for virality. I happened to get lucky with a kid who was just a super interesting character. Right. Um, and that video that video got a lot of views, but it's like doing that consistently is, is tricky. Um, and it's still somewhat just depends on a bit. Whereas like with beef, you can generate that storyline and get people to care about the characters. And then you can sell it over and over and over and over again. Whereas if people just keep getting compliments, like it gets boring eventually. Uh, Anyway, we'll table that discussion, but World, please be kind. I noticed that in a lot of interviews, we don't really get into research. One of my best friends is a TikTok strategist. His name's Shwan Ahmed, and he's obsessed with researching TikTok. And like all I hear from him is all the research that he's always doing. And I I think it's interesting because uh, on the public side, the majority of the conversation is always about like, I have these numbers and I do this and that. I would love to dive into your strategy for doing the research to know what to create. Can you walk us through like how much time do you spend researching? Where do you take notes on research? How do you decide what to execute on? I think that would be really, really helpful to everyone. Okay. I have like kind of two parts to this answer. The first part is like I immerse myself in like studying it for probably a year and a half to two years before my big break on TikTok. 
So you studied TikTok. For not TikTok, almost- but okay. just, what is TikTok? It's psychology, so, uh, it's sociology, oh. it's marketing, it's advertising. It's these things that yeah. have been around for decades. You know, like this is not new. It's just a new platform. Right. But it's the same stuff just repeated and boiled down to even just a core essence, which is, I think is why it's doing well. But I was on a circus contract where I had a lot of free time. It was a two hour show. I had like a five minute act in the middle of it. So there's a bunch of time where I'm literally just sitting there. So I would consume books. I would consume podcasts on the matter. A lot of the, any of the big marketing books that you've probably heard of, I've probably read. Like I said, I've, I've listened, uh, read Malcolm Gladwell and a bunch of others. So a lot of those concepts came into play mm-hmm. and I knew them ahead of time going into TikTok. So a lot of my strategies and decisions in the beginning were based on all of those things that I'd read about. So one thing, uh, for instance, right away that I would do that kind of touches on like the Victoria Paris um, of like getting a cult following or getting people to pay attention to you right. is we at our group is really, really good at concocting a viral video. If you just want pure numbers, we've done it over and over again. We're pretty decent at it. It's always a chance, but at this point, we're pretty good at it. You know the formula, yeah. But getting those people to care, getting those people to be connected is a different story. Now, in the beginning, uh, I was really intentional about, okay, we've got these videos that are getting millions of views. I need to make sure that I'm creating some videos that are going to get a tenth of that, a quarter of that, whatever. And they're going to eat it in terms of viewership, but they're going to make people know more about me. So I would post little creative videos that actually shared some of my other interests or just more of my personal history. So that way people latched on and like the fans that were just kind of very periphery, like viewers became a little bit more fans and actually knew a bit more about my story. Like for instance, my teeth um, are messed up. That was from an actual uh, diving accident when I was a kid, like in, in high school. And so I would share some of those things. So that way people actually knew more about me and latched on a little bit more. And like that balance is like really tricky. So those are some of the like intentional things that I was doing in the very beginning. A lot of it just comes down to like, not even research in terms of like formal, like I'm doing studies or I'm reading a book. Uh, Some of it's just about consuming content in an intentional way, right? Like if you're just sitting down to watch a movie and you just tune out and just like get sucked into the story. That's one thing. But if you're watching a movie and you're like, all right, where are the beats of this movie? What is the color grade for this movie? Why did they choose to have it more muted and blues rather than like a more sunny, like bright colors? What were the lines? Like how was the actor being presented? What are the characters? How are they playing off of each other? All of those things I started really studying, not just in in movies, but in YouTube and TikTok everything. And each platform is different. Every platform has its own unique tastes that do well. So I've never been great at Instagram. It's a little too superficial. And at this point, it's too stratified for me to really experience a bunch of success on. TikTok was a lot more authentic and a lot more quirky. So I could see by consuming a bunch of content, okay, this is this is what people find funny. This is how how videos are kind of formatted. Like you have this setup to the joke, you have the joke, you have the punchline, and then it moves on. And like, you just get better and better at like understanding what the trends are, how to execute them in your own unique way. Cause that's important. Or how do you find something that no one else can do that you can be successful on? So some people are just like famous who just moved over to TikTok and just do trends and that's all they have to do. But right. if you really want to explode, you have to do something that no one else can do or do easily and then do that repeatedly um, until it gets popular and you're well known. And that that's kind of like where we were were finding it. And and the the hardest part about social and every single social platform is y- you need to do research for your specific vertical because the formula like how you're saying you know how to make a TikTok go viral this is an assumption. So let me know if I'm wrong. I mm-hmm. feel like, you know, how to make a TikTok go viral in your vertical. Is yeah. that accurate? Like, yeah. Like if I'm trying to do a, a TikTok where I, I, I'm a little bit better at, at understanding different formats and, and seeing if I can like sneak my way into them, but I'm not, there's certain people who on TikTok they literally just like slide into a, a mirror and then they just have an engaging voice and they can talk really quickly and just suck you in and a minute goes by where they haven't done anything else the views never change it's literally just them talking and they get millions of views 
I am, I'm not successful. That is not my vertical. I have right. to be doing other things and other ways to storytell in order to keep people engaged. So I lean into that. Um, but other people can't do a, a flip and land one footed onto an uh, energy drink can. Not so, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everyone has their strength, find yours and go for it. And then experiment too. But I, I'd love to get more into just the practical of the research. It's really interesting that for almost two years, you researched psychology and, and all the other elements, not necessarily digital marketing, just like the, the elements of what storytelling maybe and all these things. So you said you did that for two years. And then how much time do you apply each week on research alone? And where do you take notes? Like what's your whole process for the research? Now I don't do it as much anymore because I just, I'm so busy creating. And I feel like sometimes when you're doing something, that is the best learning thing. Like you can go and study books all you want, but when you're actually like a surgeon going in there, you're like, okay, this is what things look like. So now I'm just so busy creating that I, I'm, I don't have a lot of time to learn other, other avenues. I, I need to schedule more time, but that's another side tangent. I feel like it just, it never turned off for me. Like I would wake up in the morning and on good days, if I was like really good on, I would just right away, try to brainstorm some ideas. And then I would go out to, especially in the beginning, there was this hot tub. I would go out there and I would be listening to a podcast on marketing or on social media or some related field while I'm like on a hot tub and stretching. And then even if I wasn't listening or reading a book, I'd be thinking about like how things work and just applying like what I saw. And a lot of it is just like, I don't want to say common sense, but it's just kind of common sense. Like once you understand certain trends. Yeah. So like, I'll give you a, a, a big hack for TikTok that we've, we found out and we've probably abused almost more than anyone else, but Zach King is looping your videos. So as it finishes the video, it starts playing it right from the very beginning. And there were a few people kind of doing it at the time where they would end the video and where it started. And so you couldn't really tell when it ended. And if you're watching it as a viewer, sometimes because you don't know it ends, you you just keep watching it, waiting for it to end. And now you're getting an extra couple, sometimes like two to three. And then sometimes they watch the whole video again. And then that really boosts the algorithm because there's like, oh, they watched it enough that they wanted to watch it again. Right. Um, so we would do that a lot with our videos. And the second benefit to looping is you can essentially start the video at the most exciting, most eye-catching part of the video. So with our videos, with them being stunts, we could start with the stunt or the crash or the fall, and then it would go into the rest of the video, which was just a setup for it. Like, Hey, I bet you can, you wouldn't be able to do that. And then we'll do it. And then it leads into the video of us doing it. And then it loops back into the exciting part again. And so that's kind of like how we would structure our videos. But part of the reason we would do that is because I knew that if, if you're cycling through the watch time goes up and the algorithm wants watch time. So that's something that's like little things that like, it's not anything that's like researchable, you know, now right. there might be books about looping, but back then no one's writing research about looping a video and why that's good for, you know, watch time. Like, it's just something that you kind of have to like get a sense of and understand like, what are the pros and strengths of platforms and how can you abuse those in order to get your videos more seen? Just like back in YouTube, there's like keyword searches. So people were doing that a lot. Now it doesn't matter as much. It's just little things like that. In discussing research, you and I met through uh, a new LA tech company called Creator Now, created by Eric, Eric Decker, who is a YouTuber that went from zero subscribers to a million in 2020. And he created a YouTube accelerator and built like a whole amazing tech backend. It's really incredible. And so we're a part of this Creator Now program. You already have a lot of traction. What mm -hmm. did you see was essential in being part of Creator Now to elevate you as a creator? when you weren't starting from ground zero? Why was this an important part of your research process? Uh, because what I said before, like each platform is different. Just because you've experienced success on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok doesn't mean you're going to experience necessarily success on other platforms. They have to be packaged differently. I knew that I wanted to get into more long form content because that's uh, I mean, YouTube right now is like the gold standard in terms of like entertainment platforms for social media. And so... If you can have your eggs spread out throughout multiple baskets, you're going to be safer in the long run. And then certain like brands that you can work with or certain things, partnerships that you can do are only going to be on certain platforms. So I knew I wanted to get better on YouTube and not just have TikTok. And for me, the creator now 
uh, program was like a no brainer question of like, do I want to get better at this platform? Yes. So that's why I did it. The other thing too, is like Colin and Samir, uh, are two creators that were right away on the list of the creator now program as, as workshop hosts. And then Hayden Hillier Smith was another one. And those were two people I was going to their content to research on how to become a better creator. And so as soon as I saw those names, I was like, yes, hundred yeah, percent. I agree. I've learned so much from, from Hayden and from Samir. Like it's been, I mean, Colin, what Colin and Samir are doing for the creator economy and education. I feel like every time they launch a YouTube video, it's like classes in session, let's learn. And I don't, even though it's public information, I feel like I'm getting some sort of insider knowledge <laughs> into the creator economy, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, let's jump into the last chapter of our conversation, the business behind it all. So you created a company and you house all your content in this company, but you actually created the company before you were even a content creator. Can you walk us through the business behind being a content creator? Uh, yeah. So the backstory is I was a performer and I knew that I didn't want to performing has a, a half-life, right? Like you eventually can't do what you do anymore. So I knew I wanted to start building into some bigger skill sets and I wanted to start performing and directing my own shows and just being able to create my own stuff. So I needed to raise capital to build a tramp wall. Now trampolines that we use are pretty expensive. They're like about $10,000, which when you think of normal trampolines, you're like, oh, I'll just go to Walmart and get one for $300. Sometimes find a deal for cheaper. Like uh-huh. it's a big difference. And then I, I wanted a wall as well, which is another, cause we basically take like pallet racks in home Depot, you know, all, all the shelving units, that yeah. all the stuff you buy is on. We basically build a wall out of that because you can just like roll up, set them up, put the racks in and then put on a wall. And now you have a tramp wall. So I needed capital to do my own show. My brainstorming process was like, what is the minimum viable product that I can basically do to get away with this? And how can I cut? Cause I think I just read Oh, what's that book? It's like a million dollars. But one of the things that they talked about was just like, how can you cut your losses? Like if you're going to make a million dollars, it's not so much about how to make a million dollars, but like how to not lose money. That's like what most of the successful people do. So I was like, how can I get this show done without just taking out a loan for $15,000 and then not having it pan out and not selling tickets? Right. I raised money through this Kickstarter, because it's all or nothing, right? Like if I raise enough money, I have enough to buy the thing. And if I don't, no one, no one donates their money. So for me, I went with Kickstarter versus like GoFundMe or some of these other ones. The trampoline, I knew I could rent or borrow if I needed to. So that wasn't within the cost. And then I pitched it to my school that I'm from and was like, Hey, I want to put on this show here. And for them, it was like crazy. Cause like nothing like that has happened there. Like I come from a tiny, I'm coming from the, a village. All right. It is the village of climate. Where are you from? Where are you from originally? Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Okay. And so I'm from this tiny school and for a lot of them, they haven't ever even seen a circus. So I was like, I'm going to put on this show. And then they actually went to some of the investors that they had been talking to for their school. And they're like, Hey, let's put on a promotional event. You guys, then I don't even have to sell tickets. We'll just put on the show for free. They'll raise the, the rest of the money for my performers that I was going to hire. I wanted to do it also at my school because it's like a low barrier of entry, right? Like if you're trying to put on your first ever show and it's like in LA at a huge venue, like the risks are way harder. So I was just like, let me start off with something small and obtainable. And then I'll gather a bunch of experience from that. And then the next event that I can do, can be a lot bigger. So walk us through on why you have an LLC and how that fuels your business moving forward and and just all of the business behind the TikToks and the YouTube that you create. Yeah. So the beginning was I launched a Kickstarter to raise money for a trampoline wall because they're expensive. That way I could put on a show for my hometown school. That all went super successfully and it was an awesome learning experience. Everyone had a great time. So then fast forward about I think a year ish, then the uh, pandemic happened and I started making money through social media. And I was like, I already have this uh, LLC that was already in, in the entertainment industry. I can use that for this endeavor. And then also we had like a group of people that we were content creating with. And so it made sense for like the housing that we were doing, because we were doing Airbnbs for all of us to stay in to create this content. That's a business expense. So 
we could kind of like put those things towards that in the structure. And I'm not the best. I mean, you guys are the business people, most of them. So (laughs) I'm usually getting advice from like your audience. So I don't know all of the hacks and tips and tricks. It's just little things that I picked up or people have told me that I've been trying to implement. But now I just use that as like the business side of my social media business, so to speak. What do the brand deals look like? What do the advertising opportunities look like? Are you creating your own merch line? How are you building the business of being a content creator? A lot of the beginning opportunities were music deals. So uh, a musician or an artist or a production company would pay us to just use a sound. And that was pretty much it. A lot of our content doesn't resolve really around me just doing tricks. There's a lot more of a storyline and a setup to it. So I, I stopped doing those most of the time unless I really like the sound. And they're also usually not, they don't pay that much. I, I believe most people around my caliber, I could be wrong, but get max like 600 to $750 for a song because it's really not that much and it never seems like an ad, so to speak. So the brand deals are different. I actually just got really interesting news this morning. Uh, I tried to do a brand deal with Dollar Shave Club. I, I created two videos for them back in like almost six months ago, right? they hadn't paid me. And I kept reaching out and kept, kept reaching out, but it wasn't Dollar Shave Club. It was the company that they tied. The ad agency. It was called Media Kicks. And they just said, I finally got in touch with the right email because like a lot of the people I'd been talking to stopped working there. <gasps> and what I found out is that they, I believe, have been scamming influencers and they went through a whole corporate restructure and they literally just sent me a contract where they just they wanted me to sign where they can pay me $180 every two weeks until the ad is paid off. So if I can talk to the like your audience, like the people who are in the business side of things, most of the time I feel like you guys are hiring some company to handle the promotion and the marketing. And there's this really weird dynamic in, in entertainment in LA specifically right now where it feels like no one really knows what's going on, especially with TikTok. And there's just a lot of misinformation and a lot of taking advantage and a lot of scamming going on. And it's really, really unhealthy. Some of the biggest people are fine, right? Like if you're Charlie D'Amelio, or if you're some of the the very top creators on the platform, or if you're already like a celebrity, you know how it works, right? And you you have a a legal team, you have a management team that's pretty much handling all this stuff for you anyways. And then if you're dealing with people like Dunkin' Donuts or Nike, you're going through an entire corporate structure. So those things aren't where it's, it gets weird. The weird thing is, is you'll have someone who just randomly gets an overnight video that gets, you know, 10 million views. They start doing this thing There are teachers who don't really know what's going on. And now suddenly they have 2 million followers with a bunch of kids all over the world who like enjoy their content. And they're like, where did this come from? They don't have a legal team. If at most they have a friend who's a lawyer who can kind of look over contracts for them. We don't know what the system's like. We don't know any of these things. Um, And then on the flip side, you have marketing agents who are like, they don't really know how your content works or what your brand is to be able to make matchups that are good for you or for the company sometimes. And a lot of it can just be purely, uh, (laughs) to put it bluntly, bullshitting. Like I can just walk in and be like, yeah, this is a great, this is a great guy. I'll get you millions of views, all this other stuff. And people don't know better. And that's not how it works. Um, And there's lots of different ads that can happen, right? So like uh, one of my most consistent bank sponsorships has been with Bang Energy. All they really require is a drink in the video and the, the logo has to be prominently displayed for eight seconds. And so I hear they pay a lot. <laughs> and they pay more than pretty much anyone in the, especially the energy drink, but almost in general, I've seen for consistent content. And so they've been really good because I would not be able to survive until I have so far without that sponsorship. Um, and it's allowed me to be able to do all the creative stuff I can do. Now, other companies want you to do like the Dollar Shave Club was an ad read. Like I had a specific script that I had to mention four blades versus six blades, like really all of that detailed stuff. So those are two types of like kind of content. Then there are other videos where it's like an ad read. People know an ad when they see one. Right. And like there are certain creators who because of their niche can do it in a good way. Like the people who do um, scripts, like they do little skits. 
Call Me Chris is a, a really popular TikTok where she has like a cast of characters. When she does ads, she can do it really easily because she can make the characters kind of talk about them in a very natural way. If I'm doing flips and I have to talk about a razor, there's no good segue into that, right? An ad is still useful and I actually might like Dollar Shave Club, but it might not be the best best brand fit. But it, also right. if you want your brand to be associated with athletic people, then it does make sense. But you have to understand if you want me to talk about it, that video is going to get like potentially less than 10,000 views. And the thing is, is TikTok is brutal with their view ratio. If you have a million followers on Instagram, pretty much every single you post you you do is going to get at least 150 to 200,000 views minimum. If you have a million followers on TikTok, you can get videos that get like 7,000 views. They don't care. They want to reward good content. They don't care if you are already established. And that's why TikTok's succeeding, in my opinion. But as an advertiser or as a company paying for this, you have to understand some of those things. So if you just want eyeballs, then you need to make sure your deliverables are a lot different than if you want a brand endorsement from a specific TikToker or whatever. That's something I feel like there's a big divide in, in the industry right now. And how can people work with you? Where should they reach out to? How can they connect with you? All the startups listening right now are like, oh my gosh, I would love to have yeah. this amazing integrity-driven influencer who creates like awesome, engaging content, advertise my XYZ. Like, how can they reach out to you? Probably email is the easiest thing because I definitely go through that and it's it's not overwhelming for me. Uh, so jakehinga at gmail.com. Um, any social media, the, my Instagram- Can you Instagram, spell it for everybody? Yeah, J-A-K-E-H-I-N-G-A and then gmail.com. And then uh, my Instagram, if you send me a DM there, I usually can see most of those as well. My social media uh, handle for everything is Hinga Flips. My last name, H-I-N-G-A, and then just Flips. And we'll include it in the show notes as well. And Go ahead. And one thing you wanted to make public? We've been searching for a sponsor for a super long time. That is such an easy one. It's just not normal in the in the advertising space for social media. Because what we do is tramp wall, there's a giant wall that we are flipping off of constantly. That is essentially a billboard that we're always, it's always in our videos. I don't know how we have not landed someone who's just like, yeah, please just put our brand on the billboard and we'll basically help pay for some rent or, you know, make sure that you guys as athletes are able to support yourselves. Cause like I push really hard. I'm like very driven, but there are a lot of people who have been helping in our videos that don't have as much success on social media. And like, I've been trying to support like our entire group and something like that would be able to help all of us. And I feel like it's such a no brainer and I don't know why. I don't know why people can't what, make that connection. What kind of brands do you think would be the perfect fit for your billboard? Anything athletic, whether it's like uh, athletic gear, shoes. Uh, we've wanted a sponsorship with Vans for a while because their logos or their slogan is literally off the wall, which I think is just like the most perfect fit. Have uh, you reached out to Vans? I have. I just don't have the connections. I feel like as oh soon as I meet someone in it, I think I'm going to try to do something magical. You, okay. I don't know if you know that I built the first action sports social network. So I, I used to have a partnership with Vans a long time ago. So Dusty Contacts, I don't know who's still there, uh -huh. but I will reach out to Vans on your that behalf and see. No promises, but I'll, I'll see what. So you'll after this, you'll email me pictures and stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of what skating was when it first started out. That's pretty much where we're at right now. Like we're getting massive social media. Because you're kind of like parkour, you know, right? Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. Like parkour we're is doing, epic. Yeah. And it's freestyle too. So we're not like gymnastics where it's all rigid and every athlete that is on that wall has their own style. And it's something you can put in videos. You can watch it online. You can go to my social media. When you see it, in, we just hosted a competition um, at a, a YouTuber's house. And there were probably 50 to 60 people who have never seen it in person before or never really seen us throw down who were just, they literally lost it. They couldn't fathom what we were doing was real because it's, it's one thing to just see a video of it and then another to stand there and then see someone jumping 16 feet in the air and doing two flips and landing like nothing happened and a bunch of other uh, people freaking out and it's wild. Like what I mean, we have you tried to do a collab with David Dobrik yet in the vlog squad? Uh, I have not. I, it seems so perfect having the vlog <laughs> squad over at this tramp wall. 
I'm always really hesitant when I reach out to collab uh, to to certain people. I really want to have a good vision for what I want to have happen in the in the videos, and in a way that I can make their videos super successful and have them make my videos super successful. I think for David Dobrik, it'd be very easy for him to to literally just bring the vlog squad and just enjoy it and just be like, "Whoa, that's crazy." I'm trying to figure out like how I can have him in my video in a way that makes sense. Cause just me teaching David Dobrik tramp wall isn't the most enticing idea. It could work, but I really want to come up with something a little bit more creative. I have thought about just like setting up my tramp wall within view of his house, but that's a little meh to me as well. So one day, one day, Jake, thank you so much for hanging out with the We Are LA Tech podcast. This has been amazing. I think so highly of you. I'm, uh-huh. I feel grateful that I've been able to meet you. And I think anybody that um, reaches out and connects with you is just as lucky as I am. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? No, thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad we could finally make this happen. Yes. It was a long time coming. <laughs> to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary people in the LA Tech community, remember to go to wearelatech.com slash community. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Say hello on social at wearelatech, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Uh, <laughs> My name is Jay Kinga. I am a tramp wall and circus acrobat who's creating a business between circus and live performance and the connection between social media. I have 1.4 million followers on TikTok and I'm currently based in Tarzana. You're listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.